Welcome to Chase Family Church. You're about to hear a message from one of our Sunday mornings, and we pray that God would bless it to you and to your family. Fantastic. Well, good morning, everyone. Okay, good morning, everyone. Morning. Great. It's good to see so many people here today, and it's fantastic to be able to speak again. Now, Martin has asked me to speak a little bit today um, as an opportunity for you guys here and at home to get to know me and just to tell our story as a family over the past few years and how we've got to where we are today. So today is a testimony um, of how the Lord has worked through us and the things that the Lord has said to us. And it will reveal some of our heart today and it will make us a little bit vulnerable telling you some of our story. But we do believe it's a safe place to do that. So as a family, we've been on a journey for the past few years and we've learned many things as disciples of Jesus. And God has spoken into our calling and he's called us really to obedience. So a little bit about me. I grew up in Enfield and my first church was over in Croyland Road and now where New River meet. At age 11, I moved to the free church down the road in Enfield and I was there for about 10 years. Rachel was born over in Hitchin and at age eight, she moved over to a village in Suffolk. Rachel is my wife, for those of you that don't know. So when I was in sixth form, I applied to university, as most people do, but clearly the Lord had different plans for me. And all my attempts to get into university actually failed. So after leaving school, I decided I was going to go and do a year out. And I went to do a year out with Pathway. And that's where I met Mick LeBague. And um, later on in that year, I met Pippa Kant. And we worked together. And I really believe that that became the foundation or one of those foundation stones that was laid for my love of working with children. See, there I learned how to communicate effectively to children. I learned how to teach the Bible in a really fun and exciting way. So after my year out, I went on to university and I actually decided I was going to go and train to be a children's nurse. So I went into central London and I trained at Great Ormond Street and South Bank University. And after qualifying, um, I worked as a nurse for a year just to consolidate my training. And then I got a job as a kids and youth minister at St. Cuthbert's Church in Wood Green. And it was here that I got involved with a scripture union holiday called Activate. And I went along as a volunteer. Activate was actually where I met Rachel. Um, and that's the first time we met each other all those years ago. She was also volunteering there. Now together we lead the holiday and in fact it actually starts tomorrow online um, and it's going to be really really fun and we're really looking forward to it. We have a lot of work to do um, but it's going to be fun and we will get there. So I moved from Wood Green um, after a few years and I became a children's pastor at a small independent church in Berkhamstead in Hertfordshire and from there I went to the Vineyard Church in St Albans and I started there as a children's pastor and then I became an assistant pastor and I oversaw youth as well and later associate pastor overseeing the kids youth and all of the compassion ministry at the church and actually looking back and reflecting it was working um, within the vineyard movement and at St Albans Vineyard particularly that helped me to get a greater understanding of the kingdom of God for children as well as adults. And what do I mean by that? Well, I believe that children 
can pray. Now, we all know they can pray, but I truly believe they can pray for healings. I believe they can pray for miracles. I believe they can bring their friends to know and love the Lord Jesus that we know and love. I don't believe it's when they're adults that that can happen. I believe that they can do it as children. I believe they can prophesy. They can encourage. They can be hospitable. They can pray in tongues. They can dream dreams from the Lord. And they can interpret those dreams. And the list of the giftings for children goes on and on. And if we were to get a whiteboard up here, as Pete did a few weeks back, and we were to write a a list of the gifts that adults um, can have from the Lord, and then we were to write a list of the gifts for the kids, they would be exactly the same. And that is one of the, another foundation that was laid for me all those years ago through the Vineyard movement, because I truly believed that kids could do it. They just needed the ability to access this. So over the last decade, I've been investing in children and young people and actually encouraging them in their gifts and training them and empowering them to walk with the Lord and step out in those gifts that he has given them. Um, I've taken opportunities all along the way to train team as well so that they too can empower children. And actually, to be honest, I find there's nothing more exciting. Um, I love that Chase believe the same. They believe that these things are for the children as well. And the kids team believe that. And they're seeing that already. And I'm excited about coming alongside it. And one of the things that I think is is lovely about kids when they pray. So um, we, we've um, recently been um, doing an online kids group for our, our church. And when you get a kid to pray for something, they pray with the faith that it will happen. If, I, if I'm a child and I pray that um, the Lord will heal somebody of an ailment or something, they truly believe it. And it's only when they're older and they're told to doubt that that starts to creep in. And that's why I love it when a child prays. If you get an opportunity, and at home as well, um, that, and you, you've got say something wrong and there's a child by you, ask them to pray and see what the Lord will do because they will pray with the faith that the Lord will do it. Okay. In 2018, I then got a job at a charity in Luton, and it was um, heading up a project that helped guys with a particular addiction. And at that point, we were leaving St. Albans Vineyard because I was no longer working there, and we moved to worship at Hemel Vineyard, which was just down the road from us. And still being within the vineyard movement, I um, carried on as part of the national kids team. And we and there was a small group of us that just supported churches across UK and Ireland, um, the vineyard churches. And we um, trained team and we supported kids ministry in all the churches that came under the vineyard movement. And we ran conferences. And as part of the last conference that we did just a few months ago, I was asked to run a seminar entitled Leading in Hard Times. Um, where I summarized the kind of last two years. It was really interesting when I was asked to do this because I thought, leading in hard times, that's not us. Um, But then when I started to write down our story and you'll hear it, um, you kind of do realize that people looking in, they see the, the challenges that we had over these last two years. But for us, it was our daily life and our daily walk and we were growing and learning and, and just dealing with it as it went on. But I guess for us in these last two years, it was very much a summer of 2019 that it felt like almost everything had been stripped away from us. And God was rebuilding us as a family. And he was helping us to see who we are in him 
and where our identity lies and what our purpose is. Let me explain. So to give some perspective, my wife and I, were both 37. I love saying that at the moment because um, in a few weeks it's, it's my birthday and I um, then go a year um, ahead of Rachel. But at the moment, we're the same age and that's really important. Um, we have two children, now aged 11 and 14. In August 2019, we were on holiday um, when my f- uh, wife found a lump in her breast. We got home, she went to the doctors, followed numerous appointments and investigations. And we, as we journeyed the investigations, there were so many people that said to us, do you know what, it'll be all right, don't worry about it, oh, it'll be nothing, oh, I had something like that, it was nothing. And I know those comments came from a heart that was just trying to encourage and just trying to comfort, but they didn't until we knew what the results were. Each day we prayed that, um, that it would be nothing, Um, But if something was there, there would be a healing. In October 2019, Rachel was diagnosed with breast cancer. Her cancer was estrogen positive, and and it was a really fast-growing cancer. And the weekend we found out, we actually had a church barn dance, so um, we kind of had to put a brave face on. We were taking some of our neighbors' kids along with us, so we, we had to keep going, not knowing what the future would hold for us. We put on that brave face, and we kept going. November 19, surgery. Rachel had a mastectomy. We arrived at the hospital and we ended up spending all day there. She was due to be out of surgery early afternoon, but it wasn't until about 6 p.m. that I saw her. And I tell you, my heart broke at that moment when I saw her colorless face, the pain that she was in, the tubes, um, and the discomfort. But what was important was she was awake, she was alive, and and we were on our way home. To follow, there was visits from nurses at home, monitoring wound care. This all started. Rachel had to have all the lymph nodes removed from under her arm. Um, So every day of her life now, she does exercises to ensure that she doesn't get lymphedema. There was more hospital appointments that followed. January 20, chemotherapy started. Hospital visits every three weeks. The children would go off to our friends, and Rachel and I would go to the hospital for the chemotherapy. I remember the first night after that first chemotherapy, the vomiting that Rachel had to endure because they hadn't quite got her um, anti-sickness medication right. It was truly horrendous. And there was nothing we could do about it. We thought it was normal until the hospital said the next time that they could adjust the medication. March 2020, we all know so well, COVID hit. And that changed things. And constantly through this, we're crying out to the Lord, what are you doing in this? Where are you taking us? Um, And we're praying through it. We're reading the word and we're seeing what the Lord is saying to us. So March 2020, I started working from home, um, probably a little bit before the government um, officially said everybody should be working from home where possible. Um, And to be honest, this was actually a blessing. And to be honest, COVID, as horrendous as it has been for so many people, there have been those moments of blessing for us as a family. So it meant that I could be around more to care for Rachel while she was going through her treatment. Um, And we were truly thankful for the fact that I could be at home every day. I could be there to help her and be there for her. And I could work those flexi hours. For many years, we've actually home educated our children. So I started helping out a bit more with that. But even as unwell as Rachel was, she carried on with the children's education. Once the pandemic hit, I could no longer go to the hospital with Rachel. She had to go on her own. And that in itself was pretty tough. 
Chemo finished early June and radiotherapy started. And this was every day for three weeks to the hospital. So we would go along and the kids and I would sit in the car because, again, we couldn't drop them off anywhere. We weren't allowed. And the risk also was too great of Rachel catching COVID being so immunosuppressed. So so that was every um, day for three weeks. By August, the intensive treatment was over um, and we were starting to put it behind us. But still, for the next 10 years, Rachel will be on some form of medication um, to reduce the chances of this coming back. September 2020, I decided to convert my van into a camper so we could go out and have some quality time together and get away. We managed a short break in October 2020. Now, for a short moment, I want us to jump back six years. Six years ago, Rachel's dad was diagnosed with a different type of cancer called myeloma. And by October 2020, where we are in the story, his care needs were getting particularly great. And we decided that we were going to temporarily relocate from home in Hemel Hempstead um, to go and live with them so that we would form one household. Because we knew that another lockdown, we didn't know for definite, but we anticipated another lockdown would happen. Or one of us would move into tier four. We remember that far back to the tier system. It ceased so long ago, doesn't it? Um, And then that would prevent us from traveling. So we wanted to be there to help out. But more importantly, we wanted to be able to spend time with Rachel's mum and particularly Rachel's dad. So I drove up to Coventry, I bought a caravan, and we moved with that in our van and we moved into a village in the Suffolk countryside. I was then put on furlough at the end of October. And again, this was a great thing, because it meant that I was around more. So I was still being paid, but um, I was able to be around more to help out with things um, in the family. 8th of January, 21, I had a meeting with a charity that I worked for. And I thought it would be to find out if and when I would be starting work again. But it turned out to be informing me of potential redundancy. And then the 23rd of January, 21, I was made redundant because the charity's funds were so low. Early March, 21, Rachel's dad passed away. So God has taken us on a journey through this, this, um, these couple of years. And as I say, when, when I was asked to do this seminar at the, at the kids' conference, leading through hard times, for us, it was just life. We were just getting on with it. But it was tough. When you start to write it out like that, when you start to put it down on paper or digital paper, um, you'd see how, how challenging it has been. But we've been on this journey and we truly believe that we are stronger for this. Once Rachel's treatment was over and that was behind us and after being made redundant, we needed to figure out what the future looked like for us. And it was almost as though God was giving us a clean slate. There was a blank sheet of paper that we could build on. One of the first words we had from a friend was that um, they thought we would would, um, almost kind of be headhunted for a role. Um, But soon we forgot that, and we did come back to that months later. So how did I get to being here at Chase Family Church? Well, again, jumping back to my teenage years, I've I've been involved many years with Enflame and helping out the celebrations. When I was um, a teenager, I was there helping out with the lighting and being involved. And then when I worked in Wood Green, I joined the schools team and I um, ended up being involved with some of the drama stuff they did, still involved with celebrations. Then for a short while, I led the celebrations. 
the year before Enflame merged with the Message Trust, um, I became a trustee and um, where I was working with Martin as a trustee of Enflame. And my path crossed with Martin on many occasions, whether it was through Enflame, uh, celebrations, away days. Um, I used to make the Encounter t-shirts for the mission and stuff um, for when they went on. And um, I would bump into Martin when I delivered those. But Martin, over those, these past few years, has loved us as a family. He's always wanted to know how Rachel's treatment has been and wanted to know how he can pray for us. The other person I've always kept in contact with is Andy Frost and um, because of our links with Enflame and sending messages even when he's in Lebanon, finding out how they're doing. And the moment that Andy knew I was made redundant, I knew that he and Sue would be praying for us. But also, um, but one thing I didn't know is that Andy was on the phone to people he was like, has been made redundant. We need to pray. We need to do something. Um, and it was felt like within a very short space of time, I had a call from Martin just to find out how we were doing. Um, what's going on? What's your heart for kids ministry? Um, Martin said, um, what does, what has the Lord laid on your heart? Where do you think you're going? So we chatted for a while and Martin said, well, what if we explored what working at Chase could look like? What if we started to explore whether it could work for us as a church and for you as a family? So I pondered it um, and we finished the conversation. I got off the phone and um, um, it's going to be highly embarrassed by this, but my daughter's first reaction was, London, I hate London. <laughs> and to be honest, it summed up how we all felt. Now, we thought it was a kind offer. Um, it was great, um, but not for us. So we said, um, we said to my daughter, I remember saying, but, but Nan and Grandad live in London. Uh, well, that's not really London, came the reply. Uh, <laughs> but it was. It was how we were feeling because we were on the edge of the countryside in Hemel Hempstead. Um, and then to go into a city just felt enclosed. So we kind of parked that for a while. And I remember saying to Martin, um, just not convinced um, that it is for us. So we kept to this task of working out what we were going to be doing, where we were going to be going. We prayed and we felt like the Lord was telling us to be patient. Now, for those of you that know me, know that I'm a task-orientated, productive, problem-solving kind of guy. So to wait was agony. Um, and I remember um, the, we both, both Rachel and I really felt that this was what the Lord was telling us. So we waited and we waited and we waited. And that whole time we were praying. And yes, we would be on right move and we would be looking at job adverts and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we spent time dreaming as well. What could life look like? What do we actually want? Both of our kids are outdoor kids. So space for them to run around. My daughter is really into horses. So space to have a field where she could keep a horse, a bigger house to have people to stay, a homeschool room, an office, land to have animals, grow food. Most importantly, a shed for me. All these things were what we wanted. And we started to look at jobs. We started primarily within the vineyard movement because it's what we knew. We looked at the HTB network as well. There was a job that came up at a church plant in Devon. And it looked absolutely perfect. Um, we could just about get a house um, that we wanted. Um, the, the church was on a farm and literally met in a barn. Um, it just looked absolutely brilliant. Interviewed, didn't get the job. God was not leading us there. 
The um, one downside to Devon that we thought of was the distance from family. So um, as I said, my family are in Enfield and, um, and Rachel's mum in Suffolk. Rachel's got two sisters up in Cambridge. The only person it would bring us closer to would be Rachel's brother, who is in Bristol, but further from everyone else. And we just had this nagging feeling that wouldn't it be great if our kids grew up with their cousins around, with their family around, and had that real value of family. So our hearts broken by something we thought was best in terms of life. Um, we had to go back to the Lord. We had to rely on the Lord for what he was calling us to. Now, I know it's a bit of a spoiler because you obviously know the end of the story, but I'm going to keep going as well. Um, Rachel had been reading this book, A Gospel Comes with a House Key. And one night we we're laying in bed and Rachel said to me, I want to read you this es- extract from this book. So it was about Judas Iscariot. And it said, he missed the core lesson. A heart broken by Jesus asks the Lord to make him godly, not bless his natural desires. A heart broken by Jesus prays, Lord, make me yours, not Lord, give me what I want. Rachel then read Matthew um, 10, 39. Those who find their lives will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And I guess for us, this came a real, became a real turning point in our thinking. Over the months, the Lord had given us, has given us so many encouragements and so many verses, um, and we just can't include everything. But these were a turning point. What was it that we truly wanted? Was it there? lifestyle or was it the Lord? So we started looking again for work. What does it mean to sacrifice in that moment? My old job came up at St Albans Vineyard and we explored that. We could stay in our house, we'd be closer to family, but not moving to fulfill our dreams. Maybe that was the sacrifice the Lord was calling us to. Rachel was unsure about being back in a big church, but anyway we pushed through and I didn't get the job. A role came up at Belfast City Vineyard, Causeway Coast Vineyard, both in Northern Ireland. We thought about those and we explored them. Again, we could have the lifestyle, we'd still be serving the Lord, but it just didn't feel right being so far away from family. And I guess particularly being the other side of the water just felt that much further. The whole time, Martin would phone me just to find out how things were going, how we were doing, how he could pray for us. You can see what's happening, can't you? Um, We explored a church in Preston. Now, the Preston church was brilliant. Again, it was another HDB church plant. Um, But the great thing about it was that because housing is so cheap up there, we could literally be mortgage-free. It was absolutely crazy to look at some of that. But it just didn't feel right. So Rachel and I started going back over the words that we'd been given, Um, reading the Bible verses, the things that um, people have told us that we trust. And one that spoke volumes was a friend um, felt the Lord say to her, now we haven't, we haven't been going through telling everybody all the words that people have been saying. So, um, so we know when the Lord speaks because it, it's, these are independent words. So, um, so she felt the Lord say, we need to look at what is in our hands. And that is what the Lord has given us. So we looked at all the things that we had in our hands. What was on the table? What was in our hands? And we both thought about Chase. This was what was in our hands. But that would mean moving to London. Oh, no. We can't afford a house in London. No way. But we would be near family. 
So I called Martin and we arranged to meet. As I pondered what working for Chase Family Church would look like, in some ways there was almost a grieving for me leaving the vineyard movement, something I'd been involved with for 10 years, a way of church that I loved. Um, But the Lord spoke to me for a friend who reminded me that Chase is not really a church. Chase is the church. The same as the vineyard is the church. The Anglican down the road is the church. The Baptist church is the church. It's all part of God's church. And actually, we are one body and we are called to unity. And I actually look over the years being involved in um, in Croyland, going to the Free Church. When I was at university, I was at an Ichthus church, Anglican church, um, vineyard like across the board, for me, it's not really mattered, the church, because it's all part of the body. And I do, over the last few weeks, I just love that um, value here at Chase, the way that Martin pushes um, churches to get together, because we are one body. We should never be divided because we do things slightly differently. We should never be divided. We should stand together to see souls saved, shouldn't we? So the Lord spoke to me through that as well. So back to my story. So by this time, I'd already preached at Chase. Um, Martin had been trying to get me over for some time to speak, independent from the possibility of working here. Well, so I thought. <laughs> but when it did come to, um, to um, being here and having those conversations, it did really feel like an opportunity to see what the church was like. Um, being here on a Sunday to get a feel for it. So a bit later after that, Rachel and I met with Martin, we met with Ken, and we met with Liz, and we chatted and we prayed. That week, Rachel and I also decided to go on a guided um, prayer retreat, and we took time to pray and to meet with somebody every day over Zoom and chat and see what the Lord was saying to us. This person would then give us verses to ponder and passages to reflect on, and we would try and see what we could draw out. We prayed independently. We prayed together. And we fasted at times. We prayed with the kids. We worshipped together just to spend that time with the Lord. And to be honest, it was truly enlightening. It was a fantastic week. And over the week, Rachel um, was really struck by how Peter walked on water to Jesus. And it was one of those passages that our guide gave us. And she said, just reflect on how he would have felt in that moment. So when you read it in the word, when you look at um, scripture and you read it, you don't really get a sense of how Peter was feeling. But Rachel got a sense that um, he was terrified, but there was also a sense of exhilaration at the same time, and that he was just trusting the Lord. So Rachel got from that that she felt she needed to trust the Lord more. I reflected on 1 John, and I'm going to read it to you. 1 John, starting at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent all day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, in that moment, as I reflected on this over a few days, I felt the Lord say to me a similar question. Well, what do you actually want? What do you want? So my answer to the Lord was, I want to do what Jesus is doing. I want to catch what the Lord is doing. I want to do his work. I want to walk in his path. And I felt the Lord say, well, come and you will see the plans 
that I have for you. By the end of the week, having prayed for four or five months, um, met with the church, prayed more, we were starting to come round to the idea of Enfield. It could actually be a possibility. Rachel said to me, she said, um, we're sat on the sofa at home one day, and she said, Kev, I actually think that Enfield is an act of obedience. And it kind of took me for six because, and I found it really interesting because Rachel, having grown up in the countryside, um, longing to be more rural, for her to say it was an act of obedience just didn't seem right. So I knew that it had to be of the Lord. But in me, it was if we do this, how can I provide for my family, for my kids' needs? Um, How can we buy a house in Enfield? But we will be near family. Maybe it was right. But we just kept coming back to the fact that it was an act of obedience. The The weeks that followed, as I drove through Enfield, I started to feel an excitement for the area. My heart started to break for the town, and it really hit me like a sledgehammer because driving through at other times, it just, I just haven't felt that way, and I thought this must be the Lord. It reminded me of um, a Hill, the Hillsong song, Break My Heart for What Break Yours, those lyrics in that song. And I just thought that's what the Lord is doing. He is breaking my heart for what breaks his Over the weeks I visited my family in Enfield, there were um, a number of occasions that I was here and um, we were still wrestling with the idea of living in a city and being in the city. I was around my sister's house one day and she's she's married, she's got two kids, um, two and four-ish, they're they're little, Um, and they wanted to play superheroes. So there we were, Um, I was donning this tiny little mask. Um, I had a cape on that looked like a hanky chief around my neck, um, but it fit them perfectly. It was a little bit tight, but anyway, we went with it. Um, and we played, and um, it was great fun. And the kids had a whale of a time with their cousins as well. And I was driving back. I was like, Lord, what is going on? It just, things just, something seems so right and some things don't. And I was driving and I was praying to the Lord. And the Lord reminded me of a moment when I was around my sister's house earlier in the day. After playing superheroes, I was truly exhausted. So I was sat in the lounge recuperating, trying to um, get my breath back. And my two-year-old nephew came in. He put out his hand. He said, Uncle Keb, we need you. And the Lord reminded me of those words. And then he ran off. And I felt the Lord speak through my two-year-old nephew, saying, this is where I want you. They need you. As we talked, we thought about how, like as Rachel and I talked over the, the coming days and weeks, we thought about how um, Jonah, um, he, was, he, he tried to run away from being obedient. Was that going to be us? Were we going to run away from the Lord's obedience? We thought about Abraham, how he was such a faithful servant of the Lord. And he took his son up a mountain to sacrifice him as an act of obedience. And for me, this is a a key passage, and I'm going to read out from Genesis 22. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Abraham did what the Lord asked. 
But then if you look with me at verse 6, he says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Then he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke spoke up and he said to um, his father, Abraham, he said, Father, yes, my son, came the reply. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So as Abraham was walking up the mountain, he was prepared to be obedient to the Lord, yet he had the faith that God would provide. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac to the altar on top of the wood. Just think about that for a moment. The faith that the Lord will provide, but the obedience to still do it. He's binding his son up and putting him on the altar, his only son. Verse 10, then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. You can imagine the relief on his face, can't you? Here I am, he replied. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do nothing to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there within the thicket, he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over, he took the lamb and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. In that last moment, God provided for Abraham and for us as a family, we knew that coming to Enfield, coming to Chase Family Church was going to be an act of obedience. In earthly terms, we couldn't quite see how everything would fall into place, how it would fit. But we know that God will provide. In some things, we still can't see how the Lord will provide, but we have the faith and we trust there was a poem that really helped Rachel, and I cannot even pronounce the person who, um, who wrote it, so I'm not going to try. Um, and it said this, come to the edge, he said, and that's the Lord speaking. And they said, we are afraid. Come to the edge, he said. They came, he pushed them, and they flew. See, if we come to the edge, as Jesus is asking, we will fly. We will fly. Other verses that really helped us, Psalm 33, 11, the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intention can never be shaken. John 15, 16, here we have Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. As we started to explore what could be good for our kids here in Enfield, we realised that actually there are opportunities for us to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Um, we realised actually we'll be quite near a BMX track um, and the parkour parks that our son could utilise, things that we just don't have back home. We started to look at open space we could go to, so we bought an OS map. Unfortunately, Enfield's not actually covered by one, so they make you buy two. I think they know that, don't they? Um, so we started to look at those open spaces. Rachel joined the um, Facebook Home Ed group, and we realised that there are there are loads of people home educating in Enfield, and loads of opportunities for us to get involved. What if those are opportunities for us to be Jesus in our community? 
Rachel started to explore horse riding for our daughter. There are many more schools in the area, but they're that little bit more expensive. But one thing that actually made us think, is this the Lord's provision? Is our daughter for many years has wanted to, um, to um, do, be involved with a pony club. Um, and for that, you have to have your own horse. Now, we're not in a position to, to be um, having our own horse or keeping it anywhere. Um, but so it's been something that we've just had to say no to. But then we found a school in Enfield that means you can be part of it, but not own your own horse. Is this the Lord? Is this the provision? The more we can ask or imagine. See, we're not fully there yet. We're still working through so much stuff. Um, we still live in Hemel Hempstead. And for us, that's hard. The, the commute's not actually that far. People do greater commutes. Um, but actually, we totally believe in the local church. Um, and we believe the local church has such an important place in the community. And we believe for us to be most effective, we need to be in the community. Like if we if we are impacting our local community, um, we can't say um, we can't say to our neighbours, look, we we we're thirty miles away. We go to a church. Why don't you come along? Yeah. But what if we could say, why don't you walk down the road with us? There's a great place where you'll be loved, and Jesus loves you. That's so much more impacting, isn't it? We believe in the local church. So working at Chase is going to be a journey for us. It's a journey of faith. Um, we can't, as I said, afford to buy a house in Enfield. Um, but yet we know that the Lord can provide, and we're just going to trust that he will if this is the right thing for him. Um, we feel like we're like Abraham at the moment. We have to walk up the mountain. We need to set the fire and see what the Lord provides in the thicket. We're also realistic and we know that the Lord can provide, but he doesn't always choose to. So we know that, um, like looking at our story that I told you earlier about Rachel's cancer, we know the Lord could have healed her. He could have taken that straight away, but he chose not to. And actually we have grown as disciples of Jesus because of that. We have grown closer to the Lord um, and we are, we are better better disciples because of the journey that we have been through. So we have faith that this move is right and we're excited to get involved. We're excited to meet people um, and to see what the Lord is going to do. When the Lord says, come and see the plans that I have for you, we're excited by that. We cannot wait. But as I say, there are those things that we're still battling. And an encouragement that we had um, recently, we went to see Rachel's mum, and on the way home, we had a, a tire on our car completely blow out. Um, it was absolutely destroyed. Um, so I changed it at the roadside, and we continued home. And we wouldn't—we didn't actually know how much the tire would cost. Um, and one of the things that um, was the challenge was as I was driving home, not having earned any money for such a long time. Um, everything was so tightly budgeted that we had. And we needed to, we, we, we just didn't have the money for that. So we got home, um, I opened the post, and there was a check for a PPI claim that covered the cost of the tire plus a few pounds more. I just thought, that's the Lord. If the Lord can provide in those small little things, he can provide in the big things. Do we say amen to that? Amen. Yes. Now, I don't know where you guys are at with the Lord and those of you listening at home. Um, there may be challenges in your life. I don't know what your journey of discipleship is like. See, we have learned that we need to lean so much more into the Lord. It's not by our strength, it's by the Lord's strength that we do all of this. We have learned that we need to pray more together. We have learned that we need to listen 
to the Lord more together. And actually, Rachel and I don't are not perfect at this by any means, but actually one thing that we have done so much more over these past few years is we've sat down and we prayed together. Um, we've read the Bible together. We've sought the Lord together. Um, we could do better on it, but actually it brings strength to us, and it's so, so important. So the past two years have strengthened us, and we've moved into a place that we could actually never have imagined. But how about you? What are your hopes and your dreams? What is the Lord calling to you? When he says, come and see the plans I have for you, is there something that he has in store that he's just waiting for you to say, yes, I'm going to walk up the mountain? Yes, I'm going to light the fire. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know the plans yet, but I'll light the fire and see what the Lord provides. Isn't that an exciting but terrifying thing to be doing. So I hope that our story today will encourage you. Um, I hope that it will um, give you some things to pray about. And I'm going to take this opportunity as as you're listening and you have no choice, but to um, give you a few things to pray for for us, um, because we we need to stand um, together. And we need, we need the church to be praying for us. Um, first and foremost is Rachel's health. So um, she's on this medication for another nine years now. Um, it affects her sleep, particularly body temperature at night. Um, so some nights she'll go through the night with three, four hours sleep and then have the kids all day. Um, and home educating, that doesn't change. Um, so prayer for that. Um, prayer that the Lord will protect her and won't allow another reoccurrence. Through the first three years, we're told there's a much greater risk of a reoccurrence. But after that, the percentage dramatically reduces. Um, And when I said to Martin about it, he's like, we're not going to have that. We're not going to have that in that first three years. Um, And he said, tell the church they'll pray. They're a praying church. Um, So please, church, pray with us. Um, Pray for us as a family as we continue this transition to Enfield. Um, that we find things that um, that replicate what the kids do at home as part of their education, um, and pray for a house in Enfield that we um, and the finances to buy one. We found many houses that would be just perfect, um, and then we just take we go to the Lord on our knees and we say, Lord, if this is of you, then you will provide. Um, one thing that we are really concerned about as part of a move is is actually um, our local community. Um, and it's also one of the grievances for us is leaving our neighbours um, that don't yet know the Lord. Some of them do, but not most of them don't. And the opportunities we've been having, particularly recently, um, to minister have been particularly great. Um, and we have the most beautiful neighbours and we love them dearly. Um, and our prayer is that a Christian will buy our house and we'll continue that work. We'll continue to support and point people to Jesus in our area. Um, so if you, if you, if you, if you could um, pray for that as well, um, that would be absolutely amazing. But we're going to worship in a moment. So while the band come back up, um, why don't you guys um, stand and I'm going to pray. Um, and let's see what the Lord puts on our hearts this morning. Father God, I want to thank you that you direct our path. I want to thank you that as you look at each and every one of us in this room and at home, 
that you see your children who you love and you want what's best for them. And I pray, Lord, that we would listen to your words, that when you say to us, come and see, that we would say, yes, we will come and we will see the good things that we ha- you have for us. Like Abraham, when, he was, um, when you called out to him, here I am, he said, Lord, I pray that that will be us, that we, when you call our name, we will say, here I am. And then however hard that act of obedience is, Lord, I pray that we would walk the mountain, that we would take the fire of the Lord, that we would set it on the altar. And Lord, if there are moments and and things that we just can't see how it will work, we will have the faith that Abraham had. We would trust that you will provide. We stand in this place and we say, come Holy Spirit, fill us anew. Speak into our hearts, Lord Jesus. We hope you enjoyed listening to the message today and pray that it would bless you in your life. And if you have any questions you would like to ask, then please email info at chasefamilychurch.com.